Welcome to the Bittersweet and Twisted Records podcast with Vince and Bobby. I'm Vince. I'm Bobby. And this is the first episode and our first attempt at trying anything like this. So, welcome. Welcome? Welcome. <laughs> welcome, yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness, goodness. Hope it doesn't suck. Um, we've been trying to do this for quite a while, but we finally got to it. Well, yeah, I finally got motivated. Yeah. Well, well, when we first came up with the idea, well, you came up with the idea. What? I did? Yeah, you I did. don't remember that. <laughs> you did. You were like, let's do a podcast. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Um, so we were like, all right, we'll do a podcast. And then we were trying to think of what we'd do it about. And then we're like, well, we'll do it on music. Obviously. Obviously. And, well, obviously, obviously to us. Yes. Um, and then like, all right, we need a name. And then we had one name we wanted to use. And that was taken. That was taken by a podcast in France, which I've listened to. I, I assume it's in French, but... We don't want to upset the French. Yeah. I didn't want to listen to someone who took the name I wanted. Of course, they probably been doing it for years. So it took us a while to come up with a name that we liked. And we had quite a few. And then we finally settled on Bittersweet and Twisted. I don't try to think of the ones that we even... I don't even remember some of the names. Um, One of them... I can't remember. You were like Polyvinyl something. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Which is a record label. Right, yeah. Um, I had the Record Molester. <laughs> That's a good one. But I don't think people would think it was that good. <laughs> I thought it was great. I think it's great, too. But unfortunately, not anymore. People nah. would be way too sensitive. Um, so I find so finally I hit on Bittersweet and Twisted because that was the name of the second Choir Boys album, and, and Bobby liked it too. I just thought it went with our personalities. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a really great logo. That was it is a really great logo. Uh, yeah, you if have you have, check it out. If yeah, look at our um, social media accounts. It's on there, and it's on our merch. But I'll I'll pour all that stuff out later. Um, so, so we got the name, decided to finally do this, and we so we're going to talk about music, so it's like, well, what's the music angle? And so we're thinking about that for a while, and then it occurred to me that we should do podcasts about records we find in the bargain bins, because we scour the bargain bins at record stores wherever we go. And we're cheap. And we're cheap. <laughs> I mean, it's only recently that I, hold on, that I started paying more for um paying more for records because I'm notoriously cheap when it comes to them um, hey, I just realized because today is record store day day and we're starting our podcast <coughs> yeah. how, how convenient how, wow <laughs> and we did buy record store day titles today I know some people are like ew don't support record store day blah 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 but and those were definitely not out of the bargain bin. No, no, we got um, the Sisters of Mercy, the BBC sessions, um, and the Skeletal Families, the Singles Collection, whatever it was called. It might have just be called Singles Collection. And then the Cro-Mags for myself and the Gun Club. Yep. And there was other stuff we wanted, like... Um, and I didn't even have to get out of bed. You did not. I went and did it. 
I mean, there was the King's Axe records I wanted, but you know, I'm not going to prattle on about that. Um, so, so we had our idea we'll do records out of the bargain bin. So the theme of this podcast, at least this episode, probably every episode, um, is going to be Treasures from the Bargain Bin. And the bargain bin is nothing over $3. So that's, that's a rule. I mean, some bargain bins are, are $5 bargain bins, but um, the cheaper the better for me. I mean, a lot of people are, are really anal about the conditions of the records. I'm not. I'm not. When as I, long as they play as long as they, they fl- don't smell horrendous. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Like, one episode we will not be doing will be my Kiss Lick It Up. First pressing I got out of a bargain bin. No. It smells so bad. So bad. I mean, I've got some of the stank off of it, but... You can't remove all stank. You can't get all stank because it gets in the cardboard. <laughs> and It's a shame, though. Because so take care of your records, people. Don't put them in the basement. Please. That's like, don't put them in the basement. Because that's where all the stank is. And, um... So, we're going to do Treasures from the Bargain Band. So, I'll pick a... I have a record that I'll talk about. And I have a record that I have picked that I will talk about. Um, some of these will be... Sometimes they'll be an obscure record or a very popular record. Yes. Um, we won't be playing music from any of the records on the podcast. Um two reasons um because the podcast will be on different platforms one of them be youtube and i don't really want record labels to monetize our videos um another reason is uh haven't paid um for a sync license for music rights that's true so have we mentioned we're we're cheap we're cheap it's very (laughs) this is very um diy i saw a friend of mine the other week we're going because he's known for. I told him a while ago we we're going to do the podcast, and mm-hmm. he was like, "Oh, what equipment did you get?" I was like, "A laptop and a microphone." <laughs> I yes. was like, "He was well," and he was like, "Oh yeah, it's good to start small and build up." I'm like, "Yeah, start small." Yes. Start small, start cheap, you know, whichever. You know, but of course, it you know it could grow it if could we grow. have lots of listeners. So tell all your friends. So yeah. So if you if us. you like this babbling, yes, make sure you like us, subscribe, <laughs> follow. <laughs> Whatever it is you do on whichever platform you're listening to this, the show support. Um, and share, share, and share. share. And the more you support us, the more often we'll do these. Yes. Um, I mean, yeah, we'd like to do more, so hopefully some people listen. And so it's encouragement to do more. Because I don't want to keep doing these if I only have like five listeners. <laughs> and we're two of those people. <laughs> yeah, so it's only down to three. It was like, it was like the time I'd... Um, I'd made a, how oh goodness, like 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was about 10 years ago. Um, I'd made a documentary about the UK goth post-punk band Sex Gang Children. And we were in the um, Independent Philadelphia Film Festival. And the screening, it had one screening. And there was literally three other people in it. And it was so such a morale killer oh just three other people in the, in the theater three other people <laughs> at the screening for it um so maybe that was disappointing and the next screening it had was at the um film fringe wilmington festival 
And I think it was maybe eight people at that one. There you <laughs> so, go. See? Look, it increased. Yeah. So <laughs> so I, did, I would like to do better numbers with the podcast than we uh, did with the yes. documentary. I would too. So, so, um, <laughs> so yeah. But, um, I mean, we like music. We do, and we like we to talk. Yeah, even though I feel like there's a big, um, dead spot coming up because i'm running out of stuff to say um well we haven't got to uh, what we're doing yet what we're going to so, talk about today so okay that's good. so yeah so um so my treasure from the bargain bin is frankie miller's double trouble from 1978 and bobby's doing meatloaf bad out of hell from 1977 so you know they're super current records um, <laughs> I just like to say how close. Well, the meatloaf one specifically is uh, the year I was born, and the Frankie Miller one is um, a few years after you were born. So yeah, so it has. You know, so they're very current. Yeah, so so current. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was um, familiar with Frankie Miller, and then one day I saw this in the dollar man. My my record was so her record was a dollar too. Um, and so I got it. I was listening to it. I was like, this is a really good record. This guy should have had a lot more success. And and then when I got yours. Yeah, I actually did not find it on my own. Yeah, I, so I actually found your treasure. Yeah. And, and the one you, you're talking about was the Canadian pressing. Yes. But it's no different than the U.S. one. Right. As, far as, as far as I know. Yeah, I don't think so. Um. All right, so... I think it's time to get into all the babble about Treasure from the Bargain Bin number one. Frankie Miller, Double Trouble. Do like a drum roll? No. 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 I saw a look on your face (laughs) in the build up. I'm I'm sorry I took all the wind out of your sails. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. Maybe in post I'll add a drum roll. There we go. All right. We'll do some sound effects. (laughs) Yeah. You'll say that's getting cut out. Please. Okay, so last week, um, Bobby and I went and saw Faster Pussycat and Enough's Enough Live. And I made a joke that there should be a Chip's Enough drinking game where you take a shot (laughs) every time that he name drops someone from the stage. (laughs) And that's pretty much what my little portion here of Treasure from the Bargain Bin is going to be like. No, I think think that's mine as well, just because... You have Uh-oh. to connect it, and you got to talk about so many people that are in it that how it came upon to be a record. So oh, you kind of have a name drop. So if you prefer, if you would like to take part in that drinking game, anytime we name drop someone, please take a shot of whatever you would like. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we should do that one time and then just take a whole bunch of shots so Each be, time we do it, so we're so dr- it'll be kind of like drunk history. Yes, drunk musical history. Absolutely, or like, <laughs> or like one time I went to a William Shakespeare, um, um, Shakespearean play, Romeo and Juliet, and it was a drinking game. So the actors were drinking the whole time they were playing. So as you got to the towards the end of the play, it was a mess and they couldn't remember their lines and it was quite <laughs> funny it was really 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 comical so that's what i think that if that happened that's what would happen 
at least we have notes that would yeah. help try to keep us online. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know you might hear some paper now and again because we did have to make down, take make down, take down notes to keep us on track. Otherwise, who knows where the conversation would end up. Well, yeah, and especially with me who has um, active attention deficit, this would definitely be an issue if I didn't have my notes. You know, I thought it was just called lazy. No, I'm definitely a procrastinator, but I just also mean I have the attention of a squirrel, and you do know that. I know. Okay. <laughs> oh, I know. Yes. Mm-mm-mm. All right, so here we go. Treasures from the Bargain Bin, number one, Frankie Miller, Double Trouble from 1978. It's, uh, Frankie Miller is a Scottish singer-songwriter who was popular in the UK during the 70s. His music was a mix of pub rock with American blues, R&B, and country influences. Much like the Faces, early solo Rod Stewart and Bad Company. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I, almost, I almost said good Rod Stewart. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm a huge Rod Stewart fan. I, I, I love Faces, and I do think that that era was definitely a, a great time for him. But I do find that there is other Rod Stewart later uh, in life that is good. Yeah, well, his stuff, his solo albums are really good when he was on Mercury. Yeah. And he, but when he moved to the U.S. and signed of Atlantic, that's when it started getting spotty. I mean, there was some still some good ones, but he was yeah. like, an album would be like half good, half crap. Yeah, that's true. And I think the last good album he probably did was Spanner in the Works, 95. I don't even know if I've, I don't even know if I've listened to that one. Of course, in Germany, they got a good kick out of that because apparently Spanner meant like a peeping Tom. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so that's instead funny. of like, because he meant like throwing a wrench in the works. Yeah. But in Germany, they're like, oh, peeping, peeping Tom in the works. All right. That's funny. But yeah, it, I mean, if you're a Rod Stewart fan, you should really check out Spanner in the Works. I don't know if it's sold, but it was the last good Rod album. Because then he started doing all like the old fart music. Yeah. And yeah, super bland. His last few records are just a mess. He has no idea. Like a lot of crooner, like crooner yeah. songs. But then like the last couple albums, like they'd have like a he'd have like a dancey track on it and then like a country track and then a reggae track. Well, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to... Throwing his net wide. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He wants his, you know, listeners, he wants to cover all But you can all shit facets. talk him all you want, at least he still has his hair. <laughs> that is true. He's got great hair. Yeah. So right. back to Frankie Back Miller. to Frankie. <laughs> I mean, he was um, probably best known in the U.S. for his duet with Phil Lynott on the Thin Lizzy song Still in Love With You, which... I actually prefer the live version without Frankie that's on the um, Thin Lizzy's Live and Dangerous album. Oh, it's just, poor Frankie. I know. It just I just don't like the song as a duet. I just like Phil singing the whole thing. And the live version's so good. It's I think it's the definitive version. Mm. It's got two... I mean, it's like seven, over seven minutes long. It's got two guitar solos in it. The second one by Gary Moore is like really good without getting too wanky. <laughs> Which a lot of guitar players tend to get super wanky and kill the song. Wanky. Are we, because he's non-American, are we using the, um, no, some of their terminology? No, it's just, of... it's just the only way to describe it. Because it's just wanky. like, it's just like masturbation all over the guitar. <laughs> like Vinnie Vincent. Like... <laughs> that's very Maybe, good, oh, that's descriptive. Oh, that's a good idea for next for another Treasure of the Bargain Bin. What's that? Vinnie Vincent Invasion, the, oh. his first album. Mm-hmm. Holy, uh, I'm trying to stay clean on here, but yeah. that record is 
insane. <laughs> but back to Frankie yet again. So see, see, this is why we have notes. That is true. Because it is easy to get distracted. Now, Miller got his professional start when he met up with former Procol Harum guitarist Robin Trower in 1971, and they formed a band called Jude. Despite um, press coverage, the band broke up the following year. The song, I Can't Wait Much Longer, which was co-written by Miller and Trower, ended up on Trower's first solo album, Twice Removed from Yesterday. In 1972, Frankie signed a solo deal of Chrysalis Records. His first two albums, Once in a Blue Moon and High Life, sold poorly despite positive reviews. High Life was produced by Alan Toussaint in Atlanta, Georgia, and featured two tracks that would later become hits for Betty Wright and Three Dog Night. His next album, 1975's The Rock, finally proved successful with the UK Top 40 single, Be Good to Yourself. Is that about masturbation? No, but I, I don't know. It could be. I don't, I don't, why, be, I don't know right? why I was so quick to defend it and say no. Right. I, don't, I yeah. don't know. I be good to, to yourself. I don't know. Sounds like a, I, a I, self-loving. I don't think it's a... I don't, I don't know. Oh, now I have to listen. Yeah. Well, over the next three years, more hit singles followed. Which brings us to 1978. And the album that we're talking about here, Double Trouble. And this album was produced by Jack Douglas, who had worked with Aerosmith, Alice Cooper, Cheap Trick, and the New York Dolls. Yeah, can um, so I know I don't know if you're going to touch on this, but I see that it even has background singers. It says Steven Tyler. Is it the Steven? Yeah, Tyler? and it's spelled wrong too. Oh, interesting. It's they spelled of the P H Steven instead of the V yeah, Steven. Yeah. Good so, job. Okay. Good job. Thank you. So, Steven Tyler of Aerosmith, who had worked with Jack Douglas on Aerosmith's Get Your Wings, Toys in the Attic, provided background vocals. And this was around the same time that Aerosmith were doing the Draw the Line album. Right. So, they were already pretty happening yeah. for the most part. And that's, so, that, I find that very interesting, that they were already busy doing their own thing and having Toys in the Attic and all that. And then... But you got to wonder, um, was Steven just being a good dude? Was he right, a, was right. he a Frankie Miller fan? Or, or was, was he just loyal to Jack Douglas? Or was he just coked out of his head still in the studio working on the Aerosmith stuff? And We're not passing judgment. And Jack was like, hey, you want to do a line and say some words? <laughs> do a line and just sing. Yeah. Which uh, is interesting because his voice is so... I can't, I can't imagine that as a background singer because he has such a distinct voice. Yeah, I have to... I have to listen to the record again, see if I can spot yeah, him out. See, yeah, me too. Because when I listened to it before, I didn't notice him, but now... It doesn't... Well, there's a star, so I was wondering if that correlated with one of the songs, no, but think, it doesn't have no. any stars. It's just that was a star because it was a courtesy of CBS Records. Yes. So there you go. And also um, providing backing vocals was Karen Lawrence. At the time, she was the singer for a band called 1994 who Jack Douglas had also produced in 1978. And Douglas and Lawrence had begun a relationship together Ooh. while working on the 1984 album. And she also sang backing vocals on Aerosmith's Draw the Line. Oh, interesting. And Douglas would continue to use her as a backing vocalist on many recordings over the years. I love how when we start getting in, into, like... The history of this, which you are already more aware of and have knowledge of, of how a lot of people and artists are connected. But for me, just 
who've just been a huge, I say, music connoisseur, not so much a music historian, but finding how small that community of musicians really is when you start getting into records and realizing how everybody's kind of connected. How inbred it is. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you see Steven Tyler's hair, you got Jack Douglas. I mean, you know, you just have all these people that you're like, oh, wow. And, and I guess I'm, I guess it's right when I say it's inbred because sometimes a lot of these yeah. albums start sounding like the same album. The, well, that's true. Like in the 80s, a lot of stuff Desmond Child worked on all yeah. started sounding alike. Yeah, so that's... It's not passing chesmet, chesmet, <laughs> Not passing judgment on Desmond Child because I like his work and he seems like a really good dude. Yeah. But um, back to my notes... Yeah, so Karen Lawrence, after 1994 broke up, she became a blues singer with the band Blue by Nature and also had a career as a songwriter and arranger. Arranger or? Arranger. Not, oh. not, not, not like a park ranger. Oh, okay. like, she would arrange songs. I thought you meant. She, yeah, no, she, she, she was a songwriter and then, you know. The, and, and she was also a ranger in the park, forest. park ranger on the side, you know. She'd go around saying, only you can prevent far, uh, forest fires. Forest fires. fires. Yeah. <laughs> That would be awesome. But okay, a ranger of music. A ranger. Okay. <laughs> Is that the actual name? A ranger. A R R L L B B B B. Is that really? Yeah. Is that really the professional terminology? Yeah. A ranger. A ranger. <laughs> Go. I'm sorry. I just can't stop thinking that she's a park ranger. I mean, she could be now. She could be now, right? I, I mean, she, I could be, she could be like Snow White out there yeah. singing to all the critters in, yeah. in, in the forest. Yeah. Oh, I hope she doesn't get upset that we think she's a forest ranger. Do you, do you think she's ever going to hear this? I don't know. You know, I mean, hey, share us, maybe. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> I can't wait till like someone gets like a bee in their bonnet over the over something we say, and they contact you like you're wrong or. Oh well, you know, there's always that person out there. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure. Always. Um. <laughs> Also on the album was Paul Carrick on piano and organ. He'd previously been a member of the band Ace, who were best known for their hit How Long, which was later covered by Bobby Womack, Rod Stewart, and most recently, Revolting Cox and former ministry member Chris Connolly. Woohoo! I almost feel like I pronounced Chris Connolly's name wrong. Chris Connolly. Wow. That's a really um, easy name to say. I don't know why I was messing it up. (laughs) Chris. And I've met Chris. I mean, he's a super nice guy. So I feel kind of bad for kind of messing up his name there for a second. I really don't think you did. I think you're just overthinking it. Yeah. I I think my ears, it sounded like Chris Connolly. (laughs) No, it was pretty clear. (laughs) Oh, well. He got his Sorry, Chris, if, if, yeah. if it did sound like that. But. He got his name mentioned a lot. <laughs> a lot. During the, well, he's, are... Scott, he's Scottish also. There so you go. That ties in a Frankie Miller. And, you know, if you are playing the drinking game um, as you listen to us, you're, shit-faced you're pretty right now. shit-faced right now. <laughs> um, and woohoo, just keep what, listening. I, I'm, not, I'm not done yet. <laughs> We're not done. <laughs> um, so Paul Carrick, after this, played Squeeze for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then Mike and the Mechanics, and he still does solo stuff. He actually has an album on his website right now, available. Available. I feel like, I feel like I've been drinking while we're doing this. 
If I'm this bad sober, we better not do drunk musical history. Oh, that would be good. I will be incomprehensible. That would be fantastic. For you. Well, yeah, for me. Because, you know, side note, I don't know if you've picked up the what we're putting down, but we <laughs> obviously have been, you can tell we're in a relationship, I think. I think no, you can, you can, surely I think not. You can, I think surely you can not. tell by how we... How I think we know. just met. Yeah. Let me just, but I have never seen Vince drunk. So I keep saying I want to see him drunk just once. So maybe that is... That's, that's what'll do it? Yeah, that's what'll do it. I mean, you've probably seen me slightly buzzed. Well, yeah. That buzzed is different than flat out drunk. Yeah, buzzed is nice. Yeah. Flat out drunk's no good. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, it can be. But if you are drinking to this, you're straight up drunk right now. Yeah. So, but keep listening. What's still good, you can listen to it in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if you're, um, <laughs> if you're, um, if you're buzzy and drunk right now, head over to, um, bittersweetandtwistedrecords.com and Ooh. buy some, um, records and CDs there from you us. Go. But, you know, I'll there start there. I wasn't going to throw the, the plug in yet, but <laughs> I was going to come up later, but. Might as well throw it in there now. Um, throw it in. Throw it in. All right. Back, so back, back to back, it. Back to Double Trouble. Uh, Carrick and Miller co-wrote a few of the songs. Mm-hmm. And also featured a couple songs that are written by former free bassist, Andy Frazier. <laughs> What's fun about that? Sorry, that wasn't really funny. It's just what my own brain was thinking. I was thinking free baller. I don't know. I heard free. Why free baller? I don't know. I don't know why why that, that popped in my that head. That should be a name of a band, free baller. That would be a good one. I don't know. That just popped in my head. And I thought when you were saying free, free, free baller, free bass, Is it f- free bass. No. What did you say? The band bassist from free. Former free bassist. That's it. I heard you say free bassist. Should I said should I said free bass player? No. <laughs> no. You think of free ball because we were talking about truck nuts the other day? Oh, I don't know. That's that's a. I don't know. That's a whole other discussion. That's a whole other discussion. Yeah. But why is it like usually the chug nuts are either like chrome or blue? Hmm, that's true. If you if that, you're out there and you have these truck nuts on your uh, vehicle, please let us know. Let us know what's why are they only chrome or blue? Because because you have blue balls. I and mean, why do you have them? I saw a motorcycle once that had a little pair of truck nuts on it. Hmm. I feel like maybe we're not being descriptive enough if we're doing that as a side note, just because some of our um, listeners may not have ever heard of per- truck nuts. Yeah, partake go, of go to, Santa. Go to Google and just type in truck nuts. Truck nuts. And they're also available on Amazon. They but, are. But they we are. don't get a kickback from Amazon, so I really shouldn't have promoted that. But, so what they are. It's a so scrotum. This is a scrotum. It's a scrotum. It's a, straight a rather up, it's large a scrotum. scrotum. Yeah, and you can get them in chrome color or uh, blue I'm color. Sure, I'm sure. I'm sure Amazon has various colors. I'm sure, and they're probably about I would say what eight to ten inches. They're about about, about yeah. seven inch, seven eight inches, seven, yeah, eight, eight inches, uh, in length. And people literally hang them off the tow hitch or the their bumper, bumper, the back bumper of the truck, and they just dangle like a like an ornament. It's really weird. That was just a side note. So and if you if you are a listener note. and you have these scrotums hanging from your Help. vehicle, please let us know why. why and the color of yours. Yes, of the ones that are on your vehicle. That is, 
And <laughs> but you know who I bet didn't have truck nuts? Who's that? Frankie Miller. Yeah, I bet you Frankie Miller did not. I'm looking at this cover. I don't know if you're going to be speaking about anything. Of I have nothing to say about the album cover. I don't. Think, I don't. You don't. I I like the album. I think it's a really stupid album cover. The album I mean, cover. So let me describe it. Well, if, yeah. If you're looking at our Twitter. You'll see it on there or... Or Instagram or... That's why I say Twitter. I meant Instagram because I, I don't like Twitter. I mean, we have a Twitter. It's BSAT Records. But... It's because Bittersweet and Twisted Records was too long yeah. for a name. I mean, I think... I think I'm not a fan of Twitter. I'm not a fan of TikTok. Um, Bittersweet and Twisted on Twi- TikTok. As you plug it after you. I don't know. I don't know what to do with Twitter. Like I I set it up and like. Yeah, I think we're at that age group that we're gonna have to ask my youngest daughter maybe how we have to use. Yeah, because I was like looking at it (laughs) yesterday and I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like I, we follow a couple people. It's usually just comedians, and Alice Cooper. Um, Shout out to some of our, our favorites. Yeah. Like. Trevor Noah. Yeah, some and Tom and Christina P. Christina P. Love them people. The water champ. Yeah. Um, so so I just want to talk about, so let me just describe it a little bit to you um, if you don't know what it looks like. So we have, in the background, is like, it looks like ocean meeting this beautiful blue sky. There's a, a, a blue door up front and the... Uh, and the door has a cutout of Frankie Miller in a bowler hat. Would that be a bowler hat? or it's a... I, I don't think it's a bowler hat, but it's... It's a hat. It's definitely a hat. It's got a little height on it. And uh, and then the... He's standing next, next to the to door it, on to... top of the water with his guitar. And there's literally like shadowing from where his feet would yeah, be so... on the water. So, so it looks like he's hovering above so is the he, So is he like Jesus? <laughs> I don't know. Walking on the water. Is he like rock and roll Jesus? And there's pieces of the door on top of the water, too. Yeah. So it's quite interesting. Um, and then there's Frankie Miller. And a, I really like the outfit, though, I have to say. It's a nice blue, uh, a royal blue crushed velvet. Looks like a split tail coat. He's got his scarf. With his nice black and white polka dotted scarf. And he's even, you can see his pinky ring too. You got to have that little. That looks is like pretty a, baller. Yeah, it's like sapphire diamond or something on his pinky with his guitar. But, you know, it's 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 an interesting album cover that I'm not, I, I'm not really sure of what the oh, concept and, and tell of it. About, and tell them about the back. Oh, the back is just the same kind of concept with the ocean meeting the sky with the door but, um, but but there is no Frankie Miller, and, and his hat and polka dotted scarf is now hanging on the doorknob and with his guitar, yeah, leaning against it. So it is a very interesting. And I I would um, like to have been there in the me- meeting for this. Yeah, like th- is there a, is there a credit for who did the layout? So um, Graham Hughes for the photography. The design was. Alan Waldy, and our and direction is Peter, Peter Wag. So, so yeah, like if the, any of those guys are still alive and hear this, I'd love to hear from you. On we, yeah, your direction that you were going with us. We'd love to know what the inspiration was <laughs> for this album cover. Yeah, because it's interesting. Because the only 
so if you look, you know, the, the titles of the songs, I was trying to see if any of it had anything that would correlate to the ocean. The only thing that I see would be on side two called Love Waves. That's that's the only thing, and that's a stretch. I don't think it has. I don't think it has anything to do with the the but cover I, art. But I, I think because the album's double trouble, so he's oh. creating trouble by barging in through the door. I guess because the because the wood shards the door on, are laying down and making waves, <laughs> and it's like double trouble because you got like Frankie uh, Miller and his cutout on the door. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not feeling that. I don't know. I'm I curious, think I think if you'd been taking shots, yeah, I would be all, feeling it. You'd be like, oh, that, <laughs> that that's makes deep. sense. Your guy's really deep. Like, yeah, <laughs> we no. would we would totally see where Alan and Peter were at that meeting. Yeah. Going, yeah, that's right. That's exactly now. What or, or or was this like an idea that Frankie had, right? And brought to them, and they went, yeah, we can make it happen. Yeah. Or they having a meeting, and they came to him, and he went, oh, okay, yeah. So so check or, it out. Or did like they just put it together with the record label and showed him and he went, Oh uh, Yeah. Uh, that's not what I was thinking. Yeah, so so check out the you know, you can easily Google it up um, you know, online and you can search uh, you know, the the cover and Yeah. It seems like there used to be a time when like artists had no say in their album covers and they would get the printed album and be like oh, what? Yeah. Like Black Sabbath of Paranoid. Yeah. Originally, that was going to be called War Pigs. Right. And then they got the album. It's like this guy in like his neon colored suit running yeah. through the woods. And it's called Paranoid. And they're like, huh? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yes. Side note. But, yes. So, so where were we? Um, oh, we, we talked about Karen Lawrence. So, yeah. So, this was like his fifth or sixth solo album at this point. Oh, really? At this point. And he was really cranking them out. It felt like one a year. Sometimes, well, there was one, I think in 78 he actually did another album. He had two albums in 78. So now, me, not knowing much about Frankie Miller, because this was, you know, way a bit my, before my time, but um, since he's a Scottish um, singer, was he more popular and the you know, Scotland and the UK yeah. or what? Okay. No, And then he had, I, I don't know if it was this one or the one before it, full house had charted in Australia. Okay. So he had, his career had a slight blip over there too. And when you said this was his about fifth or sixth, fifth or sixth album. So what year did that first one come out? 72. Okay. So it was all still, I he mean, was, so yeah, he, he, was, was, really he was really cranking, cranking them out. I mean, yeah. by this point he was really comfortable with his signature sound which was a mix of rock, soul, country, and blues. Okay. And like two of his other albums, he had recorded in the U.S., the home of so much music that he loved. So We ho- hope you're still with us. You haven't, we haven't lost any yeah, of you. I know, I know, you can I, stay with our little, I know um, little tracks, our little offshoots. I know we started talking about a record and we ended up talking about truck nuts, but... <laughs> Welcome to our brain. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so the record came out and then nothing. I don't I, I don't know if it sold in the UK because I know it didn't sell in the US. Because uh-huh. even though he had hits in the UK, he only had like three minor hits in the US. Okay. 
He had um, the Doodle song. The Doodle song. The Doodle song. That was on the Full House album, which was actually, I have a bargain bin too. I could have done that one just as easy. Oh, I just, I'm curious about the Doodle song. Well, we'll have to listen to it later. Okay. And the Doodle song went to number 71 in the U.S. in 1977. Okay. Darlin went, charted at 103 in 1978. And his last U.S. charting single was To Dream the Dream in, at number 62 in 1982. Okay. Now, in continued recording albums in the 80s, um, <clears throat> but didn't have any hits until 1992, when he had a hit in Scotland with his cover of Doogie McLean's... Now, now if someone's going to correct me on the pronunciation, that's fine. Caledonia. That's what I would say, Caledonia. Caledonia. Which I think Fish... Also did a cover. Not the P.H. Fish, not those no. hippie Americans, the former Marillion singer. I feel like he did a cover of it, too, in the 90s. But I could be wrong, because I'm not looking at my fish collection. But I feel like he did, too. Anyway, take a shot. Um, <laughs> during these 10 years, where his his career wasn't doing so hot hit-wise, he'd written hits for Johnny Cash, Ray Charles, Rod Stewart. Again, Rod keeps coming up. Whoa. That's four shots right there. I know. Waylon Jennings, Bob Seger, Roy Orbison, Clint Black, and others. Wow. So it sounds like he may have did better in the U.S. by just writing. Yeah, and he all, oh, and he also um, he had a single in oh my goodness seventy seven seventy eight because that was a really busy two years for him called when I'm away from you. That the American country... I know, you like that song. I love that song. Um, the American Country Act, the Bellamy Brothers had covered that. Did they? And they had a huge um, country hit in the U.S. with that. The Bellamy Brothers? Yeah. Brothers did? And they also did another one of his songs in the 80s. I forget which song it was. That was so interesting. So they had two hits of two of his songs. Oh, wow. So while he had very few hits... Yeah. When people covered them, like, like I said earlier, Betty Wright and Three Dog Night... Yeah hits yeah which must have been partially really annoying because you're like these songs i wrote aren't hits for me but they're hits for other people but then he's probably looked at the money and went yeah yeah Yeah, that's fine i'll stick with this so in um in around 79 he started writing songs for film and television oh and his music appeared in such Films. Did I say his music or his films appeared? You said his music okay. appeared in such films as... His music appeared in such films as A Sense of Freedom, 1979, All the Right Moves, 1983, which is the Tom Cruise movie. Oh. He's like, I think that's the one where he's the high school football guy, but he's like three feet tall, so... Oh, all I had in my head was the risky business. No. <laughs> I think... I, 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 I don't know. This is around the same time, but I think it was pre-risky okay. business business i don't know i'm not a tom cruise person so that was but the idea of him pre-tom cruise before he was but the idea of him is like a i'm pretty sure a high school football guy is hilarious okay and then he um had music in the movie light of day starring joan jett michael j fox in 1985 did you ever see that i don't think so i mean if i did their brother their brother and sister and have a band oh no it's really good oh i feel like i should know that one back Back in the eighties, I used to watch it on Prism all the time. On Prism. Prism, like if you if you're in the Philly area, you know Prism was a cable channel. Oh, yeah, I was. That was carried. 
back in the 80s. And then when Prism folded, they switched everyone over to HBO. Oh, no. See, you know, this is I'm just a country bumpkin. And we had three channels still during this time. And they were black and white still. Oh, no, they weren't. Yeah, no. What? I'm serious. We still had an old television. And the only reason why we had this television is because somebody gave it to us. And it was black and it was still black and white. It had the typical aluminum foil bunny ears with the little circular ring antenna as well. And it had, we had three channels. This is no lie, okay? I mean, uh, I really was in the country bumpkin, but we had channel eight, <laughs> channel 11, and 43. Nice. Yes. No wonder you're so in love with my high-speed internet connection. It is really nice because, you know, (laughs) even though this is quite some time, I still am in that current area and it's still uh, very uh, backwards in in a sense where we do not have high-speed internet. It's very slow and horrible. So being here, it's really great. So I do not know some of these oh, shows wow. or gonna, movies. We'll have to see if Light of Day is streaming. Yes. Oh, also in light, Trent Reznor's in Light of Day. Oh, wow. see, you think I would know these things. Yeah. He's the keyboard player and like some other band in it. Oh, that's so funny. And this was 85. Yeah. Huh. That's funny. Yeah. And what else? Also, he had songs in You Can't Hurry Love. Oh, yeah. I know that one. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah. The Rum Diary, which starred Johnny Depp in 2011. I never saw that one. I wanted to, though. That's, well, oh, oh, God. That's the one where he met, um, what's her name? The one he married. Oh, oh, the, oh. Amber Amber. Heard. I'm not even, if, if you know, uh, you, well, if you know me personally, you know my thoughts on Amber Heard after yes. I worked on mo- yes. a movie with her. Yes. Um, I was going to say, um, Johnny Depp is innocent. That's all I'm going to say, because... <laughs> Oh, we just lost some followers on I'm that sure one. We Good did. job. <laughs> Amber Heard is a screaming a-hole. But there we go. So go back. To, he was so he wrote some music for the Rum Diaries. Yeah, and then well, one of his songs was used in that, and then in 2015, yeah, he had a song in Diary of a Teenage Girl. I I do know that movie. You know of that course. one? Yes. Of course you do. Yeah, I, have, I well, listeners, I have three daughters, which are. 23, oh, 21, geez. and almost 17. Well, so I re- definitely thanks. was really... If we hadn't aged ourselves at the beginning of this... I know, we really did. So we, that is... <laughs> that is I mean, I'm eternally that, youthful. I agree. I am as well. They say age is only a number. Yeah. That's age, what they say. Age is only a hairline and the waistline. No. Oh, yeah. That's a truth. But next. Okay. So, <laughs> so even though, you know... His, his albums weren't doing so hot. He was still successful as mm-hmm. a songwriter. And in 1994, while he was in New York City working on material with former Eagles guitarist Joe Walsh, mm-hmm. Miller suffered a brain hemorrhage. Oh, wow. And after five months in a coma, he was left unable to speak or sing. <gasps> and his performing career was over. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. That's so sad. Yeah. And then... 2007, the Eagles covered Miller's Guilty of the Crime for their reunion studio album, Long Road Out of Eden. Oh. So wait, he was he was five months in a coma. Yeah. And then he was unable to speak or sing. Wait, so, once, once he came out of the coma. But he was still alive. He's still alive. He still is alive today. He's still alive. Wow. A few years ago, he had co-written his first song in years. 
Oh, wow. So, okay, so he he's, did, he, he's still, he, he's there. He's, I, I assume he's there. But, but yeah, a few years ago, he, he'd written the music for a new song, finally, and someone else, and his co-writer wrote the lyrics. Oh, but you know what? I mean, that, to me, I'm like, oh, but how talented, at least he used a lot of his talented, but I'm glad he could still use them even after. But, yeah. I mean, oh, sorry, sorry, dude. I'm glad you're, glad you're still around, though. Yeah. And in 2016, a new Frankie Miller album, Double Take, was released. It was comprised oh. of, of old demos. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was old demos turned in. And actually, that album came about because of Rod Stewart. Oh, good old Rod. Because Rod had asked the producer who knew Frankie if Frankie had any old songs that hadn't been released. So they went to Frankie's family, and they had dozens of unreleased songs. Mm. And so this album, wow. Double Take, was put together. Okay. And the songs are turned into duets oh. with such artists as Elton John, Bonnie Tyler, Rod Stewart, Willie oh. Nelson, and Miller's old friend Paul Carrick. Oh. And the album charted at number 11 in Scotland and number okay. 100 in the UK. Wow. That's pretty um, That's pretty great then. So they were all his his songs. They were all previously unreleased songs. So he'd recorded demos. So the songs, you know, they're duets. So they're so they're partially his old demo singing, and then these other artists added their vocal to it. Well, I mean, I think Huey Lewis is on it also, and did he have the news then? He's not the news because this was like you know, (laughs) this was only like five years ago it came out. Um. But then again, we know, well, Huey has all the hearing issues now, and he can't perform anymore either. Um, To our listeners, we are, our our goal is to also, towards the end of the episode, is to make sure that we can be able to make a connection between the two in some way, random way. So we're going to... But I see Bonnie Tyler. Is that what you're going to say? That was one of the things. Okay, okay. So I had I had two two ways I was going to connect okay. Frankie Miller Double Trouble to a meatloaf bat out of hell. Okay, all right. So we'll get to that. Okay. But um, so Frankie has remained a bit of like a, a musical legend and icon in Scotland and the UK. Okay. And in 2019, on the um, UK version of The Voice, one of the contestants performed Frankie Miller's Jealousy. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so, I mean, it's nice to know that... It's nice to know, but wait, did they do good? Actually, it got, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, or yeah, were they, it like, was the funny, first I was, one? <laughs> I was watching the clip on YouTube. The guy got, like, four words in, and people were, like, hitting the thing. Like, oh, yep, yep. okay. So, I, I, I forget the dude's name, but that's that was so cool of him to do a Frankie Miller oh, song. Oh, that is cool. I mean... This makes me want to listen to more Frankie Miller. I, I like, uh, you know, it's, I love a good comeback story, yeah. too, from a, a bad situation. But. And in, um... This year in 2021, uh-huh. Choir Boys frontman Spike and Friends performed an evening of Frankie Miller, an online streaming concert of all Miller songs. Mm. How many scarves did um, he have? Um, Spike probably had at least two. You thought Steven Tyler had a lot of scarves? I'm just it saying. It ain't shit compared to Spike. No, mm-mm. Spike, I love and, your style. And that, just FYI, Spike. And that, yeah, we are not sh- shit talking, no, Spike. Not at all. I love the choir boys because that, that's where we got the name for our part, podcast that's from. That's true. Word up. I would love to see them live. And the, in the last, I guess, 10 years, they've toured the U.S. twice. And I unfortunately missed them both times. They actually, they were actually they were touring the U.S. last year and had yeah, to cut their, they had to cut the tour short because of COVID because everything was shutting down and they were afraid they were going to get stuck here. Oh, COVID! But so 
So Spike did the streaming concert of all Frankie Miller songs. Mm -hmm. And he had previously released an album of Miller covers called 100% Frankie Miller. Oh, um, Spike did. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Now, was it with the Choir Boys? Is it, no, it was, was a solo, solo record. Al- yeah, because okay, cool. he, he's had some solo albums. That, that, oh, it's just, it's just really good. Um, Blue-Eyed Soul. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's really good. Yeah, actually, that was the name of one of his solo albums, Blue-Eyed Soul. So that was pretty much truth in advertising. Yeah. When you see that, you're like, oh, I know what we're getting. Okay. And, and, you know, this wasn't Spike's first time covering Frankie Miller because the Choir Boys had also done covers of When I'm Away From You and Baby It's You. Oh. Nice. Yeah, I just, there's that whole... Like the one, Baby It's You, like the old 1950s doo-wop I don't, one? I don't, I don't think it's a 50s doo-wop song. Oh. But, um, now there's just that period of music from England from the early 70s that the the pub rock stuff with the r&b and the soul influences it's just it's just so good it's just so good like like we're saying the faces early yeah early rod um i mean the i i earlier i said bad company because but they're a little more rocking but paul rogers is a real big blues guy yeah so um that's why i included them because it's just you know it's a there was it's something just, about that time period. It, it, it really was. I mean, the songs were great. They the, were. I loved the production on the albums because they just sounded so good. The drums. That's. This is a. Ah. Oh, wow. I'm trying. I'm trying. To, I'm trying not to go on a rant. Oh goodness. Because I hate the way drums sound on modern rock albums. If you need a break. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go take a pee break <laughs> go now. Go take a pee break. Go take now. a pee break because I'm going to rant. <laughs> um, no, because they've been. Uh, there's there's um, on YouTube um, Rick Beato, on his podcast he did a uh, an episode on stu- current studio techniques and he talks about why drums sound so shit on new recordings and it's really fascinating, but yeah I hate the way drums sound, they sound so terrible even if even if it's a real drummer. Because a lot of times they'll take them in there and chop it up and make them yeah. so precise that it sounds like a drum machine, uh, and you yeah. take all the feel out. Yeah. But and you know how I feel. I love live double bass yeah, it's on drums because something about that and it gets in your soul. But when they use the drum machine and when you're at a concert or something, it's really kind of a letdown a little bit. Uh, it just anyway. I just I like the old drum sounds. Yes, I agree with you on that one. I do. We're not knocking at all because we also do like electronic, so yeah, some, like, some electronic, so and industrial, so we're not kinds completely. Of... But whoops. Oh, sorry. Jesus, you just hit the I, microphone. I hit the mic. Sorry, guys. <sighs> no. I didn't drop it. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we will stop here with Treasure from the Bargain Bin number one before Bobby destroys everything. <laughs> So much faith in me. I have lots of faith in you. Thanks, babe. All right, everyone, just hang in there, and we'll be right back with Treasure from the Bargain Bin number two, Meatloaf, Bat Out of Hell. Oh, I just have that. You don't know that song? No. 
It's ludicrous things that. Oh. Who's <coughs> a hoe? I thought you. You said that you's a hoe. And I just thought that that would be a great intro to. Because I'm about to start whoring stuff. You're about ready stuff. to be a hoe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I hope that you've enjoyed what you've heard of the podcast so far. Um, this is the part where we give you all the fun stuff like our social media. We're on Instagram as Bittersweet and Twisted. We're on Facebook as Bittersweet and Twisted Records. We're on TikTok for some reason as Bittersweet and Twisted. <laughs> I mean, I guess someday we'll figure out how to use TikTok. Someday. After I ask my daughter. Yeah. But at this point, I'm not into it. I think it's stupid, but... It, hey, but it might do us really well. It so might. we don't want to put it down yet. Yeah, not yet. We'll give it time before I start shit-talking it more. Um... We also have an eBay store. We do. Where we have records, CDs, cassettes, posters, um, VHS, DVDs, Blu-rays, and books. 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 A lot, of, it, mu- lot of it geared to, yeah, I was going to say a lot all, of it geared to music. All music and movie-related movie. stuff. And you can check that out at bittersweetandtwistedrecords.com. Buy some stuff. Buy some stuff. Um... <laughs> you can also get podcast merch. What? What? I know. We have a T Public store, and that link will be on our Instagram. It will be. Or if you're checking this out on YouTube, it's in the links below. So, but if you're on YouTube, I feel like I should say, like they always say, like and subscribe. Smash the button. Smash the smash button. button. Down subscribe. Down follow. Yeah. Follow us. Um. <laughs> on our T Public store, we're gonna have shirts, hoodies, phone cases, masks, notebook, mugs. You know, kind of uh, like Kiss. Kind of, oh! If we can put our logo on it, we will. We will slap that shit on it all. <laughs> it, you know, if T Public had caskets, oh, we would have the bittersweet and twisted casket. Hey, and you know, and not just to toot our own horn, but I'm going to toot toot. I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> I love our logo. Our, the logo is bad. It's awesome. It's everybody. You're all going to want something with our logo on it because it is nice. I know. I did a really good job. You did a really good job. I did job. a really you good did. job. You I'm, did. I'm pretty proud of it. I'm, I'm proud of you. I, know, I like cause, it. Because most of the stuff I design, I, I'm not proud of. I, oh, I, I like do, it. A lot of the design stuff I do, I just do for the money. <laughs> no, occasionally I do like the stuff I do, but... This yeah. one, this it's one's really, really good. It's really good. It's it's, it's, it's great. Really it's going to look good on shirts. And I just want to see people walking around with it. And I want us to be able to keep giving you podcasts and selling things to you. So yeah, I, support I, us. Support us. Give us your money. Please. Sir. And your ears and your and support. And your ears. And your love. Yes. I hope we can grip you by the heart and... Grip by Chuck Nuts. There you go. I was I was gonna say balls. We we sh- we should have bittersweet and twisted truck nuts. Yes. So if anyone those are out- the nuts I might have on my car. If anyone out there <laughs> makes truck nuts and you can put our logo on it, mm. get in touch. Get in touch. <laughs> Let us touch your balls. Wait, no, no, no. Oh, okay, I no. thought it would. Be- <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Um, you, okay. you, no. you completely railroaded. I railroaded it. You, 
boom. Our whole our whole section of promoting our I merch links. That goes along with hoeing. Bombing. Touching. Oh, that's people's? that's a reach. <laughs> that's a high five. Yeah. yeah, that's a high five. All right. Okay. Now let's get back <laughs> back into it. Into the business. Welcome back. This is a Treasures from the Bargain Bin, take two. All right, so I'm going to be talking about Meatloaf and his 1977 album, Bat Out of Hell, which I have to say I might be biased, but I absolutely love this album. I think as many people do by now, as of how Since much it sold like, sold so many it's, records, it's sold a copy or two. Yeah, a copy or two, just sounds one like, or two. I think it's it sounds like they say it sounds like two hundred thousand copies a year. Yeah, something crazy. But mine just so happens to be looking at your notes there. You wrote like a thesis paper on this. Well, you know, I'm also a grad student, FYI. So I also write like a grad student to all my grad students out there. You know what I'm talking about. You got to have it in. Yeah, you should have seen my Frankie Miller notes. <laughs> you got to have it in order and underlined. She's got yeah, bullet points. Bullet points, and it's just... Mine it's had, just, like, no it's, punctuation, it's incorrect how my grammar. brain is working uh, still. So, um, um, and if you are a grad student, word up to you, because I, I hope you just finish, stick with it, finish. It'll be over soon. Was that your... Um, that's my pep talk to yeah. all of us grad people. <laughs> Thought it will be done soon. All right, so back to meatloaf. So you know, I, I want to start with um, pre bat out of hell because I'm just trying to break it all down. How it got to be bat out of hell and such a, a um, awesome album. So we know, if you don't know, this album meatloaf um, is the the singer. And so I think it's a little bit important to go back to how we got this quite eccentric album of Bad do, Out of Hell. Do young people know who Meatloaf is anymore? I don't know. Do you think, do you think your, your girls know? My daughters would definitely know who yeah, Meatloaf of you. is because of me. But do I think any young... No, maybe less their parents well, showed them. I don't know. I worked with this young guy one time. Yeah. And he didn't know who you two were. And that's a shocker because I'm like, you two, that's, I don't know. I just feel like that's so commercialized, kind of like Kiss, that everyone would know who yeah. they are. But yeah. He was like, I have no idea. But Meatloaf, I mean, I don't know, maybe not. Um, but Meatloaf was, you know, that's not his birth name. His mother actually did name him Michael Lee Aday. But. But. Four days later, um, and I don't know, I, I was reading this, and he had, Meatloaf that is, I was talking to a reporter, and he, he said this exactly four days after his birth, his father came, looked at him, which I thought that was just a little odd in general, so his dad didn't see him for four days, like, after? I don't know. I mean, I know, different time, people, different time, because this was 1947, FYI, well, that he was born. his dad's like a good dude. Yeah, but... Um, his dad took one look at him and said he looks like a pile of meat, basically, I think was the wording he said. Let's see. Oh, he's, his 
direct quote was, um, he can't, he looks like meat. And just to put it back there, just to give you some, he's only 5'10 as an adult, which I learned this morning. So he's not a very tall dude. But in fifth grade, fifth grade, he weighed 185 pounds. He's a big boy. He's a big boy. So he's just a big dude in general. But um, not, I'm not saying that that's anything wrong with that. He's just a big person. He's yeah. just big voice, big personality wrapped up in this dude. So, mm, yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, so a little bit about Meatloaf. So he was a huge theater person. Did you say theater? A theater. Oh. No. Oh, we look prissy today. Uh, yes, I'm a little prissy. He, <laughs> so he was involved in theater. Um, he did uh, many different performances. Some of the um, more notable ones that kind of got this uh, career for him kickstarted was um, he was in Hair. And that is where he met Sean Murphy or singer Stoney, um, who, which led to the... Um, well, a little bit real quick, but her name, Sean Murphy, she went on later on throughout life. Um, she became the lead singer for the band called Little Feet in, no, 80, really? in 83. Did I get you on something? You got me. What? I did not know that she sang for Little Feet. Yeah. FYI, this, he's like a walking Wikipedia. So the fact that if I can stump him, that's always yeah. super cool points for me. So if you're taking tallies on that, put a tally line and yeah. on my if, side please it, well, that and if you're i'm um, still playing the drinking game yeah you've already uh you're, you got, you're getting there we got yeah. two so far yeah so um so anyway so she yeah she went on um to do little feet and i thought that was a pretty big connection for her yeah. um but first first yeah her and meatloaf met at at hair performing hair um in the detroit area um and then they also created a um, album called Stony and Meatloaf. I used to have that and, album. And evidently there is an error in the way that they have his name because they have his name as Meatloaf the Meat Product. So it's like M-E-A-T little L-O-A-F together in one word. Hmm. Where later in life it was Meat Loaf. Mm-hmm. Two words. So... Um, but that was released in 1971 um, by Rare Earth, which was a subsidiary of Motown. Hmm. Um, the most notable song on that, which I'm not familiar with, but maybe you will. No, be, I, I no? remember I okay. had I had I had one of the reissues of it, one of the zillion reissues oh, after okay. he became successful. Yeah, yeah. And I don't remember much about the album. Okay, well, I the, just know that it can't be worse than his um, Hell in a Handbasket there album. There you go. But um, he also went went on to do the song um, later on in his own solo career, um, um, specifically in his tour in 86. Uh, what you see is what you get. Don't know so, that one. yeah, neither do I. But um, so that album, that's where kind of he started getting into like recording solo things um, or musical other than uh, theater music um, where he went on to create albums and that album was also, um, so it came out in 71, but after Bad Out of Hell was released in 77, um, that album got reissued in 78 um, and 79. Now, now, I don't know about the 79 reissue, but the 78 reissue, mm-hmm. the album cover. Is this the one where he's sitting in the chair? No, that was the original That one. was the original. The um, 
the 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 reissue after Bat hit. It was the meatloaf with a face oh, on it. Oh, yes, yes. It literally is your dinner meatloaf with, like, a ketchup face. Yeah. And, yeah. It's the most ridiculous album cover. It's a little disturbing, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, it really is. Like, because it doesn't look appetizing as a food, and it <laughs> doesn't look appetizing as a uh, cover of a yeah, it's album. Just so, a terrible, yeah. So, terrible. look that uh, up. I you mean, can find that up on, um, you know, online. I and, wonder if the people who did that layout were hanging out with the Frankie Miller people. Right? When they all did like, uh, No, I shouldn't say that. The Frankie Miller album covers way better than that. Uh, yeah, it is. But um, I think the point of that is, like, I, we would have liked to have been in that. The um, absurdity of it, I guess. Yeah, we would have liked to have been in that meeting when they met and said, let's put this on the cover. Um, <laughs> So, and then it was also re-released in 86. So, but Meatloaf's most popular role, um, well, or one of my all-time favorite roles. Oh. Yeah. It's in the cult classic Rocky Horror Picture Show as Sweet Sweet Columbia's motorcycle, leather-clad wearing, singing boyfriend, Eddie. Um, But before the film version... Um, he was Eddie on Broadway, and that is where I'm going to drop a name real quick. That's where him and Todd Rundgren first met. Meatloaf was when uh, Meatloaf was, what was on stage on Broadway. What was Todd doing at Broadway? Watching shows. Okay. Yeah, he was just out, you know, hanging out in New York watching shows. But I think the best, um, the song that he sang in Rocky Horror is got to be the one of the best. It's Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul. You know, yeah, Hot Patootie. Which me is done on some of his solo tours. I in. love that song. <laughs> there was one tour he did. I don't know if it was the, I don't think it was the Three Bats tour, but one of them he opened with it. Yeah. It's, um. I don't know. It's a great song. It's catchy. If you don't know it, go listen to it. It'll be stuck in your head all day. Um, so I also wanted to talk about the musical genre that this was this album was um considered to be and some of that i just i've learned some new terminology i did not know before this um, research so i thought it was kind of funny but they put it under rock pop rock rock and roll progressive rock rock opera glam rock right yeah, I thought that rock. was interesting yeah, i would not glam put rock, that with, yeah because it sounds like kiss and yeah, sweet yeah it and, could and no uh, yeah. No. Uh, and, you know, and all I keep thinking about is like, I don't see that because I'm thinking when I think glam rock, I'm especially in the, this around this era and no. this area as well, the um, geography of it. I'm thinking New York Dolls. I'm yeah. thinking T-Rex. T-Rex. Like I'm thinking all these people. I, I just don't see the glam rock portion, but I don't know. But the rock opera. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. See um, rock. Progressive rock, I don't see. Either, I don't see that it, either. It doesn't sound like Genesis no. or Mm-mm. Yes or Van de Graaff Generator or any of that. Yeah. Um, and my favorite, this is has become my favorite, Wagnerian rock. And not everyone might know what Wagnerian rock is, so I'm going to give you a little schooling. A little schooling. A little schooling. Um, so the term, <sighs> as you make a mess. I, I, yeah, I just spilled. So the term was coined by John Steinman. John. Tom. What Tom. is it? Tom. Jim. 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 John. Jim. I'm sorry, Jim Steinman. At least he's not. At least he's dead. And he late, can't right? Hear fuck At least up he's his not. Don't <laughs> yell at me. Sorry. Because you know. Sorry, the ghost of Jen. Jim. Jen. 
Now you change sex too? I'm. I said hey, no, Jen. He's, he's not. Oh, I think he said Jen. No, I said Jen, like G I N. Maybe uh, I have my mind on something else. The drinking uh, game. That's yeah, where. But yeah. so you would have drank. Have you been? Ha, were you taking shots during my Frankie Miller? <laughs> uh, so Jim Steinman coined that term. Um, when I looked it up, it said it said it was the merger of the 20th century rock and roll and 19th century opera. Reminiscent of composer Richard Wagner, or this is an or, which I thought it's diff- it's interesting because yeah. it says or named after the wall of sound. Oh, that's Phil Spector, right? There you go. So for musical people who may not know, the wall of sound was a, um, a, a recording technique created by the. You can look at it how you want to look at it, how he how he is known and that why Phil he's Spector so... Phil Spector was a piece of shit. Yeah, that Phil Spector, yes, he... You know, I think we can all agree on that. I don't think there's any... I don't know. Like, some people I don't are know. like, oh, you have to respect what he did. It's like, mm, no, he no. shot a woman in the mouth. He's so, no. crazy. Um, fuck him. I'm glad he's dead. He... Not, um, to be, not to swear, but that's how much I dislike him. But, um, yeah. So anyway, so, but to give you an understanding of what the wall of sound was, um, this was a recording technique that was, Phil Spector created. Um, it gave you the characteristics of like um, boombastic, re- reverb, reverberating, <laughs> oh, goodness, reverberating instruments, which constantly threatened to drown out the vocals. <laughs> I'm way in the distance and I'll just clean up my spill. Um, and I, when you said bombastic, <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking when Hannah slaps your boob, and she's like, "Boom!" Oh my god! So <laughs> Hannah's one of her daughters. So Hannah's not, one of my daughters. It's nothing too creepy, but uh, my daughter it, come has this. It's the sneak attack. Sneak attack. She just walks up to you and kind of lifts your boob up from underneath and slaps it on the top, and she says, "Boom bat." So <laughs> there's another game you just learned today from teenagers worldwide. I don't know if it's just my weirdo kids or if now we, now we need to make merch. It says, "Boom bat." Oh my gosh, Hannah would be so happy. <laughs> um, so oh, goodness gracious. Anyway, so yeah, so the boombastic. <laughs> reverberating instruments which constantly threaten to drown out the vocals which I thought that was kind of interesting because I don't get that from Meatloaf because I get kind of the opposite because Meatloaf's voice is so um, loud and I, I don't feel like the instruments are drowning them out except for when they kind of do their, the musical portion of the song uh, yeah I get yeah I never thought about that but I guess it's maybe just the um, taking the idea of just the <laughs> boom bap, um, <laughs> the the just the bombast of it all because yeah. you know because well, that's you know bad out of hell. It's like it, it it it's like you have this really bombastic rock and roll, then like yeah. these lush slower parts i mean yeah. i don't know there's yeah. something something in there but, is an influence on that which i thought that this was interesting too because i think this um this this next line it better characterizes um what the wall of sound was it says the wall of sound was one of the first attempts to use recording studio as an instrument hmm. so i guess by altering yeah the treble and the bass and all that kind of thing. Like that's what they're thinking of, but that's not what I kind of got from the other portion of it, which was the, um, 
you know, music, musical, um, and mixing with the, um, with the, um, 19th century opera. Um, so anyway, I thought that was kind of neat because I definitely can see when you listen to them, you definitely can get, you get the sense of a rock opera mm-hmm. just because it is very theatrical. I think theater people, I'm not putting you down. I love you all. I have many, many friends in the theater world. Um, but you definitely can kind of group them together in the rock opera, um, grouping and you can see where they're all they're all intertwined and interbred like we were talking all about inbred. early not inbred not in a bad way but you know they is all there have a, their is there a good way well, for I inbreeding just mean, well we're not literally talking about inbreeding not sexually or we're just talking about how everyone is connected in some well, way and you will see should, that maybe we should say overlapping overlapping that's Over, that's a nicer word <laughs> okay so we'll take that back everyone uh, overlapping because you will see that in um, Meatloaf's um, the history of Meatloaf, where a lot of the people that he started off with, um, um, like Sean Murphy um, or the other people that he met throughout his theater career, how they all inter intertwine and are always interlapping throughout um, uh, Meatloaf's music, throughout um, Steinman, um, his production, right, and then throughout. Todd yeah. Rundgren, you'll Todd. see Todd, and that's Todd. That's not really that's not making fun of you. That's it's another Todd that we know, um, but you'll see that everyone's <laughs> everyone's intertwined. So back to Meatloaf. So this was released um, on Cleveland International, which their parent label was Epic Records, mm-hmm. and this was released October twenty first, seventy seven, which I really do honestly is one of my absolute favorite musical years not just because it's the year i was born Uh uh but um specifically that there's something about that year that was great music that year i mean you have you know i mean i could go on about my a lot of the english uh happenings music happenings that time with their different in england and the uk with the clash and damn the damned and Oh my gosh, T-Rex and all of those. Yeah. I mean, there's so much good music that came out that year. Anyway, so the album was um, originally recorded during 75 and through 76, but the concept of it came much earlier in life um, through, um, where did I do it? No, they started recording it in 75? Yeah, started recording in 75 through 76 um, at various studios. Hmm. But one of their last studios was at Todd Rundgren's studio in uh, Woodstock okay. um, area. Now, I wonder if any of the 75 recording overlapped with the Ted Nugent album that um, Meat sang on. Oh, yeah, because I totally forgot to add that in there. Yeah, you told me not on, to forget that. Yeah. yeah, he sang on like half of the uh, Free For All album. Yeah. So I wonder if there was any overlap. And that mm. was on Epic Records. Right. So I wonder if there was any overlap there. Possibly, because I, I don't know what year was that Nugent. I think that was that five, I think. Okay. Pretty sure. We'll have to fact check ourselves on that one. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, possibly. I mean, even though it, it was, it took a while for it to be recorded, um, it took even longer for it to get produced. Yeah. It took a long time. Um, but what I was going to say is how... Um, so yeah, so it was produced by Todd Rundgren. Um there are seven songs on the album, 
First one, of course, bat out of hell. Second, you took the words out of my mouth. Three, heaven can wait. Four, all revved up with no place to go. Five, two out of three ain't bad. Six, paradise by the dashboard light. I think it might be just called paradise, actually. I don't know. No, I'm pretty sure it's Is it? Paradise okay, and then light. seven for crying out loud. Um, me, personally, I love every single one of these songs. I do. I love them. Um, when did you first hear this album? <sighs> Well, we were talking about the other night, but yeah. I, I first heard this. My mom was a huge fan of getting tapes, cassette tapes, They're, Youngins. They, they are they, coming back. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure Youngins probably know now. Um, and out of the bargain bin, out of like Walmart or somewhere, like you said, James Way. It probably yeah. was James Way. Um, and she yeah. had this meatloaf James, one. James Way was a, a chain of retail stores. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It might not be everywhere. They went out of business listening. in the mid-90s. Yeah. Because they used to have the music department. They used to have, you know, the records and the cassettes and well, records and they got rid of the records and brought in CDs. But usually they have like a little standalone cube display, four sided, and that usually had your budget cassettes, your four ninety eight cassettes on that. Yeah. So that's I remember being in my mom's car and my mom always listened to this one station where um, from the Baltimore maryland era area that was 105.7 i'm not sure if it's still around but it was all it was oldies oldies 105.7 the oldies and we always listened to old music and she had bought that tape and i think i was like 13 or 14 but i didn't want to act like i liked it because it wasn't cool at the time to like your parents music but secretly did but, but now it's super cool like <laughs> now it's super cool it's it's because it's uh, you know nostalgic now and yeah, it's retro because now, now your girls are like yeah. blondie i know Ramones. liking all that stuff yeah. so it's not so bad but i remember listening to it and i loved it and um that was probably the first time i really fell in love with this person and plus and then i also loved the imagery of the cover which is going to be one of the most misleading album covers Absolutely. of all time. I remember when I first saw it, um, back, back, in, back in days, <laughs> in the early 80s, there used to be this company, they would put out gum shaped like little records, and they came in, the, came in like little LP cover replicas. Mm-hmm. And there was like... You it had bubblegum that was shaped like it, wasn't it? Yeah, the yeah. Bubble gum it was shaped, shaped like, like a record. record. It had yeah. grooves and everything in it, too. Shout out to the people who know what we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> I used to get them at the West Grove Pharmacy. And, I mean, they had Judas Priest, and I can't... Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of artists that were on CBS Records at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a bunch of them on eBay, which I'd like to have some of them. But not the gum, but just the Yeah, sleeve. we don't want the gum. You can but, keep the gum. But I remember... I... I can remember going in the pharmacy and they used to have them. I remember seeing the Bat Out of Hell cover and I was like, whoa! It's like, that is awesome! And then when I finally heard the album, I can't remember, I can't remember if one of my uncles had it, which is most probable, or I bought the cassette yeah. from James Way. But I remember being completely disappointed <laughs> that really? the music was nowhere as uh, evil so as the album cover looked. It does. And, you and know. It, at first, I didn't like it when I finally heard the album in the late 80s. Yeah. Because I was in the like tons of like, hair metal. So yeah. this was like so not hair metal. Not hair metal. Absolutely. But I ended up in the 90s growing appreciation for Bad Out of Hell and all things meatloaf. I mean... I even like the um, Midnight Lost and Found album, which is nothing like Bad Out of Hell. 
Yeah. But. It's so uh, you have to, you know, look it up if you don't know what we're talking about. I'll just give it a description a little bit. Um, but it's like, you know, um, it's, oh gosh, a mo- motorcycle. What'd you say? Like, it's, I mean, I guess it's supposed to be looking like hell. Yeah. Like, a lot of reds and a lot, lot of, of reds, like, oranges, oranges, and the motorcycle, and the motorcycle busting, out. busting out of hell. And what's on the motorcycle? It's a dude. It's just a dude, though. Yeah. Is it it's, it's, dark it's, hair? It's like the long-haired dude, I'm pretty sure. The blonde? Because someone didn't bring their record with I them. I know. Today. Sorry, guys. Sorry. So I don't actually have it in front of me. But anyway. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's mean. Like, it's like busting out of hell on this motorcycle. You're like, man, that guy's badass. Like, what did he do to get into hell? And now he's he's so badass, he's getting out of hell. Like, yeah, he's what? breaking out of hell, and he's like... It was pretty. So anyway, so it's pretty cool. So when you first see that, you're and like, wow. And then you wow, have a song is... like, you know, Heaven Can Wait. You're yeah. like, yeah, you can wait because I'm a badass. <laughs> I don't know if that's what I was getting. But yeah, definitely when you see the song and you hear the songs, you're like, wow, okay. That's not what I was thinking. Um, then Iron Maiden for... later had a song called Heaven Can Wait, too. Yes. Which is not the same as Meatloaf. No, not the same at all. Oh, yeah. So well, it actually looks like, yeah, well, it's a little bit of a graveyard, too, on there. I just had to look it up on my phone really quick to to get the image. Yeah, it's got like the bat on the yeah, gravestone. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's more of a And you're like, it's coming out of a cemetery out underground, but you know that's supposed to be represented. But it's like, such a metal looking It's so album. cool. It's very metal. It's, it's very, very metal. Yeah, it's very metal. Like I It's mean, very you, like you, Iron Maiden-ish. Like. You got to wonder how many albums they sold just because of the cover. Because of the cover, right. People thinking it's going to be something yeah, awesome. Back in the day. Like, like Sabbath were, or something. They're browsing the record racks <laughs> and they're like, oh man. That has got to be so evil. Yeah. And then you get it home. So they and you're like, that, this is a like, lot of love ballads. Yeah, they got that in their Sabbath albums. And like, <laughs> like, I do feel cheated. Yeah. So, yeah, I bet you there was quite a few sold to some uh, metalheads out there. Um, but, yeah. So, anyway, so, um, but before, you know, that album came about, I mentioned a little bit how they really struggled trying to get that album um produced um people weren't willing to touch it at the time it's just i don't think it was what a lot of the industry was trying to look for and to create in their to get out to sell that kind of music anyway mm-hmm. um and i think i think i really think that's a little bit has to do with the cover because that cover is a badass cover yeah it, it just it was a really odd album to put out in 77 it was it was in the u.s you had you know disco was king yeah like and a lot of your like Hard rock people like Alice Cooper was mm-hmm. just doing a string of ballads. Yeah. Kiss had Beth. Yep. You know. Uh, which is absolutely one of my favorite songs ever. It made me used to wish my name was Beth because it was what a beautiful ballad. But I'm definitely not a Beth. You're not a Beth. No, I'm not a Beth. But it's a beautiful song. Yeah. Oh, such a beautiful ballad. Um, so I'm going to talk about real quick a little bit about Jim, about Todd, um, Todd, and Ellen. Who Ellen I haven't, Foley. Ellen Foley, who I haven't brought up yet, but the importance of each of us. So, um, so Jim Steinman, he's an American composer, lyricist, playwright. Um, he's a, also a record producer. Um, he has produced. I mean, I'm just going to give you like a little snippet, real quick, because his get your shots. Yeah, his his production list is ridiculous um, in length. So anyway. Bonnie Tyler, which we'll come back to that because Bonnie Tyler was she did a Frankie she Miller did a Frankie song. Frankie Miller song. So Bonnie, she also did a Paul Stanley song. Oh, there we go. 
Um, so Bonnie Tyler, uh, Bruce Springsteen, uh, Celine Dion. Um, just uh, another, some other fews. He co-wrote Sisters of Mercy. He did. He did. I, and I then know. Meatloaf went on later to cover one of those it's Sisters a, of yeah, Mercy. Yeah, that's true. He did a cover of more. And yes. you haven't lived until you've heard oh. it. So um, wow. hit up YouTube and put in Meatloaf more. Well, Vince and I do always say that everyone's fun is different. Everyone's so fun is different. you <laughs> might enjoy that version. Um, we're both huge Sisters, Sisters fans. fans yeah. So, um mm, it was interesting, but I kind of didn't want to put sisters in this just because I thought it might get us so far off topic because we'd want to go and talk about We've already sis. talked about truck knots. That's true. That is true. But a sisters, but I didn't put that in his composer because it, it was only one song that he produced for sisters. Sure? That's what I, well, that's just what I, the list that I came up with that had showed. Maybe it was more. Yeah, you keep look. Hold on. All right, you look. You, you keep you talking. fact check. Yeah, I'm going to fact check. So um, anyway. But I thought, I just didn't think, I just didn't see how sisters fit in there. But as we go and we do talk about, you know, how they did, how Meatloaf did cover them. Um, so maybe I should have threw Sisters of Mercy in there. But um, so anyway, so Jim's um, career started in the theater world. Um, he originally wrote um a futuristic rock version of peter pan for a workshop back in 1974. um he called this um neverland um and many of the songs that he wrote for that um that futuristic uh rock version of peter pan would later turn into some of the um songs or wordings and some of the songs for the bad out of hell album which i think is really kind of funny but i think that with me saying that i think that just goes to show um or give you put you in the mindset of how theater um um theatrical that it it, it can be for bad out of hell album can be you're right it was, you just, the one, it was just the one song oh, okay but how how uh theatrical that that out of hell album can be when you you see that jim had really did write many of these um songs for um his Peter musical Pan. yeah so i really think you can see that um i mean i think it even carried over in the bad out of hell yeah too. oh yeah absolutely absolutely that um rock opera or the I, I, there might be a song wagnerian not to jump really far ahead but i think bad out of hell three might have had a Peter Pan song it because half of that was well yes he did because half of that was Steinman songs and other half yes. uh, Desmond Child well and it and it did if we want to talk about the Meatloaf 2 because do you you know that one portion um, where Steinman's talking in the front will yeah. you give your life to yeah. that was part of it okay um, and that was actually he actually took that and used it for a speaking um, a whole speak a whole speak. A whole speak. TED a whole, talk. Yeah, kind of. Like, um, Jim Steinman TED talk. Yes, but a whole like um, spoken word okay. piece that he wrote. So it kind of a lot of his stuff all interlapped, inter mm-hmm. or intertwined to going back. Um, inbred. Yeah, and I later had read a. Um, I was reading a portion of um, something online. Let me just see if I have who it was. It was um, from John Hutton uh, called To Hell and Back. Um, it was for Classic Rock Magazine back in September 2000. 
um, he was talking about how like, um, uh, actually I didn't write it down, but he was talking about how Jim Steinman always had like this, um, idea of like, um, never, never dying, never ending. Like Peter Pan thought, yeah. like he always wanted to do something regards to that thinking. So a lot of his stuff is like, you know, not aging and, or has this weird twist of, you know, um, the, yeah, the futuristic uh, rock version of Peter Pan in some ways. But anyway, so that's where, um, so Jim had uh, met Meatloaf um, in the theater world. Um, he actually met him uh, more so specifically while traveling with the National Lampoon Show. Really? That's where he met, which brings hmm. us to... Ooh, I don't know. Ellen Foley. Okay. Ellen Foley... Um, also was in that comedy show. Okay. Of the National Lampoon Comedy Show. Um, I didn't know she was involved in comedy. Yeah. Other, well, other than being other in the than, first season of Night Court. Right, there you go. Um, so Ellen Foley, um, you may know her. Uh, she's the female powerhouse voice behind um, several of the songs in Bad Out of Hell, specifically Paradise by the Dashboard Light. That's like an amazing song. Um, she has a great voice and a great... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? A great presence on that song. Like, mm -hmm. I just love it. I love those two feeding off each other. But anyway, she also um, was a theater person in the beginning. Um, she had started um, on the National Lampoon Comedy Show. She did um, um, Broadway um, television, which we you mentioned real quick, Night, Night Court. Court. Uh, that's where I remember her from, specifically, was that first season yeah, of I Night Court. Yeah, I remember watching Night Court, and then mm -hmm. I saw her, al her credit in the Meatloaf album, I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Um, but she also is an amazing singer. I mean, we know that. Yeah, but she an had a bunch of solo records, Solo too. records that won many awards, um, and she, um, so she had, she's still singing and recording now, actually, so... Um, yeah, so that's that's her. But then, so then we have we got to bring how we got Todd Run Rundgren involved. So Todd, he was a producer, a musician. Um, he he's known for producing such acts as Isley Brothers, XTC, XTC, Prince, Hall and Oates. He, he produced Prince. He produced a song of Prince. I okay. don't know how much. Like um, that's interesting. He did Hall and Oates, which is evidently he did quite a few of Hall and Oates, really? and that's yeah, really? and that's the name that I kept looking up. It kept coming up with Hall and Oates, and I would actually have to go and I'm like, he's got to oh. do something more than Hall and Oates. So um, I saw that he did uh, Isley Brothers and Prince, um, hmm. and he's also known for his band Utopia. Utopia, um, which I'm not familiar with. Oh much i, I mean i know I, a little bit from the 90s specifically i know they've done some reunions yeah, over the years but um other than that i'm not but um how he became involved with bad out of hell was um through a friend uh, an occasional bandmate named moogie Klingman. i love that name moogie moogie love yeah. it i feel a little moogie the other day the moogie i love that name shout out moogie i don't know if you're still around but i love that name moogie Klingman. um basically um Todd even states in one of his stuff that I've read that he said he was producing a lot during that time. He said he was probably producing way too much that he that he probably should have backed out of a few um, projects. Um, but his friend Moogie came up to him and basically put this challenge was like, one day I'm going to find a band that's good enough for you um, to produce and you're going to want to produce them. And hence how we got Meatloaf. He said, yeah. and I know that person. 
And Todd said, okay, because he was already familiar with Meatloaf yeah. from seeing him on Broadway. So he was like, you know what, that sounds interesting. And um, I mean, there's a whole other speculation also why he chose to do that. I didn't really go into it cocaine. a lot. No, nothing to do with uh, cocaine. But the whole, it's a, it's a, another side road, but how that spoof about Bruce Springsteen, uh, which I'm still I, not familiar with, but he was, how they're saying the word out on the, the interweb is that they were saying the internet the, the internets how they were um saying that some of the songs from because steinman had wrote um some of bruce springsteen is it ready to run born to run, born to run this album. is the first time i've uh, which is funny me, i'd never yeah. heard of steinman working with springsteen before until you brought this up to me earlier today yeah um and so, yeah, and the only reason why I know that now is just because of all, like, the looking on the, on, on the, inter, the webs, the webs, the interwebs, the webs, um, <laughs> looking on, looking online, and um, it kept coming up, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, you know, when we say interwebs and internets, we sound really old. Oh, my God, I know. Like old people. We probably do. We probably this sound is, so old. Is this the Senior Citizen Podcast? Ha, <laughs> ha. You're going to talk yeah. about some Metamucil and... Um, Early early bird dinners next. Yep, early bird dinners. Early bird special. Um, Four p.m. <laughs> the Cracker Barrel. The Cracker Barrel. Um, so yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. But they're saying, I guess, because um, there are some similarities to some of the sound of "Born to Run" and "Bad Out of Hell" because of the interwebbing of. Um, producers mm, things like that and that, because the one guy f- from the east street band was oh, also yeah. yeah uh who played on was it was it max Ma- max Weinberg yes max on max he was also played on meatloafs okay. um so they thought that was so anyway so there was some i oh, guess in the musical world there were some issues nerd fact Ooh, nerd fact nerd pour, fact pour a shot bow, bow, bow. No, no i'm cutting that out <laughs> um Max Weinberg's son plays in Slipknot. Okay, there we go. It's all tied. So, so boop. you just see how it's all, once again, all interwebbed. Interwebbed. <laughs> but yeah, so um, anyway, so Moogie came up with them and said, "Hey, I know um, this album that this Meatloaf and Steinman are doing," um, and. And he thought that Rundgren would enjoy producing it. And in turn, he, he did. So there's our, I think, our four main players for Bad Out of Hell is Jim, Todd, Ellen, and um, Meatloaf. That really got that, that album going. Um, so I wanted to just, one more thing, what do I want to talk about? One more? Well, a few more. That's right. <laughs> so, well, when the album was released, um, so the album was immediately a great success in Australia and the United Kingdom, <clears throat> but it took a little bit longer for the U.S. to to catch the flight. Get it? Okay. Yeah. It's, no? It's you don't great. like it? I'm sorry. I was really proud of that joke. I even typed it in. No, I do it again. Okay. Um, it, the album was immediately a great success in Australia and the United Kingdom, but it took a little longer for the United States to catch the flight. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah little humor little humor anyway oh that hurt yeah that was a horrible one but um not the joke the laugh hurt 
Mm. It physically hurt my lungs. Mm. The joke probably hurt some people too, I'm sure. Hey, I never said I was a comedian, but I do try. Um, so I just wanted to take um, a little, I just took a little excerpt of the words from the mm-hmm. first song off the title, the title track off the album, which was, uh, like a bat out of hell, I'll be gone when the morning comes. But when the day is done and the sun goes down and the moonlight shining through, then like a sinner before the gates of heaven, I'll come crawling on back to you. Okay. I just thought, I don't know, I just thought that was really interesting. Okay, you're, you're doing this look. You're I, like, well, you were because... like, you were like look staring off and like pondering i am pondering because some of it i'm like oh that's really great and it all sounds really great but when you break it down you're like so then like a sinner before the gates of heaven i'll come crawling on back to you oh because the sinner's crawling to the gates yeah because he wants to get in he's begging basically you know ah i got it now you know steinman's lyrics were like a mix of like being really profound and super campy. Yeah. At the same time, like we were listening last night, um, Objects in the Rearview Mirror. Yes. And there's that one line where um, towards the end of the song where he's like, um, she used her body just like a bandage and he used my body, my body just like a wound. Yes. It's like, okay. Mm. All right. You know, and a lot of, I also want to point out how um, kind of, um, sexually erotic every song on this album is yeah um you can tell i mean paradise by the dashboard light come on what do we, how you get into paradise it's yeah. not driving there you know I'll, i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off Go but ahead. no i was gonna say um at one point you know when they're doing the play-by-play yeah on oh my gosh what song is that paradise so they're doing the play-by-play yeah. right like a baseball game yeah. so evidently the purse the guy who's doing yeah, that was the famous announcer right the famous uh, announcer yeah, I forget his name he he decided to do do that for the song yeah when he read it because he had never heard the song yeah he just did it like it was a yeah. normal baseball game and and todd rundgren said that he's not sure if he ever did know that that was like yeah comparing it to you know, uh, getting the third base, getting the third base, you know? So I thought that was kind of interesting. Like you just see this guy, he's like, ah, I'm getting paid for it. Whatever. Yeah. What do you want me to do? I don't need to hear the song. Let me just talk. Yeah. And I just thought that was really funny. Like, you know, cause it's so, it's right on that border of, um, being erotic, but you know, during that time period of the seventies, yeah. you still had to be a little bit, Kind of like the 1950s. You had to be, yeah. you know, incognito, especially like, it makes me think of, um, oh my gosh, Little Richard's Wap Up a Loop Yeah. Is that what the song is called? I don't know what the song is called, but I know what song you're talking about. But I mean, which I later learned in life, much later, like a few years ago, that that song is about um, anal. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of like that. So the yeah. 70s, you still had to be really incognito about... Did you know in the 70s, you couldn't show a toilet on American television? Well, there you go. That's the mindset that people were thinking and when the, these records came out. Yep, there's people who would love to go back to that today. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, well, yeah. But that's a whole other podcast. A whole other podcast. But anyway, so that's where, you know, so you have a lot of that underlying... Um, uh, sexual energy and a lot of these songs and a lot of the videos or, I mean the videos are mostly just the live performances but um, another thing before they even got this for Todd to agree to produce the album 
they didn't even have a demo because he said he said to his friend Moogie, give me give me their demo tape. Yeah. And he's like, oh, they don't have a demo tape. And he's like, he's like they'll come and do it for you live. Yeah. And he said literally that's what happened. It was Meatloaf, Ellen, uh, Foley, and Jim, and they all did it live for him. And he was like, okay. Can you imagine how much of a nightmare it would have been to demo those songs? Oh my gosh, I know. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting how they literally came and they're like, it's better if you see it live. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I can see that because they you need they you need it you really do need to see the visionary um, of the performance. Yeah. To get like you know um, the background on the song because it's not just a, a song you listen to like when you when you do hear the music you are vis- I, for me anyway I'm visualizing like this. Almost like an opera, yeah, you well, know. I'm visualizing this whole thing go down. Whenever I hear this album or any of the songs from it, I always picture Meat from the back cover yeah. with a tuxedo. Yeah, yeah. It's open. He has the red handkerchief. The red handkerchief on his hand. He was another one with a handkerchief. Still to this day, he would perform with the handkerchief. Yeah, half, half, to. He's not doing so well health wise. Big ups to you. I don't know. I hope you feel better. Yeah. So. I'm looking at your notes here. Yeah, so I'm almost done. Oh, oh do you have something that you well, want to add I, from I'm my gonna, notes? I'm going to read off your notes in case you oh, don't get to this. okay. Bad Out of Hell, as of 2021, has sold over 34 million copies worldwide and has made Sony Music estimate $125 million. Yeah. That is ridiculous. That's amazing. It's craziness. It's really crazy. Yeah, but so that just goes to show. Now, when the when it first came out in '77, and didn't do so well. Um, and but like I said, it did well in Australia. The critics were never a big fan. No, of they it. were never a they big just, fan of it. They don't get it. They they don't. They, they, they accuse a lot of it of being not being self aware. Yeah. But it was Jim Jim Simon was totally self aware. Yeah. Oh yeah. You don't um, write some of those lyrics about being self aware. Yeah. He was, he was definitely, um, he definitely had a great mind for writing. Um, it was definitely writing. a wink and a nod when he wrote some of these lyrics. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You don't come up that play-by-play in right. the middle of Paradise about being clued in yeah. to the camp of it. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, he, he's written many things. I mean, look up, you can look up his things um, online and just see um, the plethora of stuff that he wrote and, yeah. um, pr- you know, wrote for. Um but just so when it was re-released, came it was re-released and oh goodness and what was it? Oh, now I lost my notes. Anyway, it was re-released I think in '78 and then it did better than the original okay. release in '77. But um, there's a lot to um, that came after Bad Out of Hell and that's where I'm gonna kind of end it. But the before I got there, I thought there was. Um, there were some descriptions, um, quotes from Jim Steinman, Meatloaf, and Ellen Foley when they were to describe um, the album in a sentence, and I thought they were pretty cool. So Jim Steinman said, I describe it as a feverish, strong, romantic, violent, rebellious, fun, and heroic. Okay. I thought that was true, right? I can yeah. see that. Um, Meatloaf. Um, stated, I think Bat Out of Hell is more real than 95% of the records ever made. Whoa. Right? We know Meatloaf's a big, he's got That's a big personality. That was pretty bold. Yeah, I thought that was um, quite interesting. Um, it just goes with how I talked about how, you know, he's he was just a big guy from 
birth on. He was just this big dude, big personality, yeah. big voice, big everything. And I just thought that was really um, big of him to um, state that. Um, this I really liked because I, I don't know, you know, us women, we're quite emotional. But I really liked what Ellen Foley said. She stated, there are just some things that touch an emotional core that I think people are going to want to listen to for a long time. And this record is one of them. Mm-hmm. I think that it goes today. I, we I, we were listening to it last night. It's, yeah. it's a great album. Like, it's good today. I mean, like, we even listened to, what was it, um, from Park? Part two, Bad Out of Hell. Bad Out of Hell too. And that one, I said, it almost sounds a little dated because of the saxophone. Saxophone solo, yeah. But you can listen to the, you know, Bad Out of Hell, and I'm like, this is this is you a know, timeless and, album. And in between the first two bats, you know, Meatloaf continued to record. I mean, he mm-hmm. maintained a level of success in the UK, yeah, but not in the US. Mm-mm. I mean, there were varying quality albums until him and Jim got back together in the '90s yeah. for Bad Out of Hell, Back in the Hell. Yeah. Which, you know, sold a bagillion copies. Bagillion. It's, it's a good record. It's a mathematical term. Look it up. And then, you know, Meat did some mm-hmm. Steinman less albums, and then they didn't do as well. Then he did Bad Out of Hell 3, which is a half Jim Steinman yeah. record. It was produced by Desmond Child. Another half of it was written by Desmond and like people like Nikki Six and mm-hmm. Motley Crue, and other half was like Steinman songs, which apparently Steinman wasn't too happy about. But Wow. And then, you know... They had that, Meat and Jim had that big falling out. But mm-hmm. before Jim's death, they had reconciled. Reconciled, yeah. And they did an album they together. Did they album. did that Braver Than We Are, mm-hmm. which is not only the final Meatloaf Steinman album, mm-hmm. the final Meatloaf, Meatloaf album and the final Jim yeah. Steinman album, because yeah. Meat has all the health issues. and Jim the, did too and Jim, didn't make Jim it. Jim passed. Yep. But I wanted to, um, so just a few little notes that I had about um, after Bad Out of Hell. Um, Rolling Stone ranks it, the album, as number 343 on its list of the 500 greatest albums of all times. You know, I have problems with lists. I know, but I mean, it's I, I kind of like them because I'm like, oh, that's, I, I mean, think, of all times, that's a yeah, lot of albums. I know. Lists are really subjective, though. They are subjective, but when I think of all times, I'm thinking they're touching all genres. But I don't know what the list was. I don't know who made it up. It could be the same as the Grammys, a whole bunch of a-holes, a-holes and stuffy white and stuffy coats all Did sitting say, around. You were gonna say I was going to say people? stuff. No, I was going to say stuffy white coats. Thank uh, okay. you. I was not going to say doctors. Yeah, bunch that's of doctors. Why, bunch that's of doctors I, at the Grammys and Rolling Stone picked the top that's albums. That's why I changed it. I was like a stuffy, stuffy coat. Stuffy white coats. <laughs> How dare you tell me? How dare you, doctors? How dare you tell, tell me what, me what I listen to? But anyway, um, so the magic of the first album brought us two more albums, um, creating the trilogy of the Steinman Meatloaf um, production, which we, you know, Meatloaf, um, you had Bad Out of Hell 1, or else just Bad Out of Hell. But Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell in 93. Um, then you had Bad Out of Hell 3, The Monster is Loose, and that came out in 2006. Um, there was also, which I wish I would have known because this I would have been like front row ticket holder, um, back in 2017 um, in the Manchester Opera House, there was a musical based on Bad Out of Hell. Um, it was staged by um, Jay Scheib opened Opened it. Um, it ran until for two years in 2019 over in the UK um, and in Toronto and the in Canada. 
Um, and there was plans for it to run in Germany and the U.S. I'm not sure if it ran in Germany at all, but in the U.S. Um, it it had a few performances, but it was quickly canceled, which that's kind of a bummer. I don't know yeah. why it was canceled, but it was canceled. Um, that's just sad to me because I think it would make a fantastic Broadway show considering the theatrical background mm-hmm. that it's based in and the songs. If and the, you can oh, make a musical out of Green Day's American Idiot. Yeah. You can do Battle yeah, of Hell. there you go. But anyway, so if anybody wants to redo that... Um, You'll buy a ticket. I'll buy a ticket. Thank you. Yeah. I, I'll help with, like, running wardrobe changes. What? Yeah. I'll work in the back. I'll even help work in the back. You sell tickets, too? I'll, t- I'll sell tickets. You sell the ticket booth? Yeah. Heck yeah. Handle the social media? Social media. You know, whatever. Okay. Do a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to end my segment with this... Um, I know I said I had quotes from everybody. Um, I had another quote from Max Weinberg. Okay. And I think that he said it best when he said, I think bad out of hell will probably last forever. True. True. I agree. So check it out, everyone. And that's my um, that's my spiel. That's your treasure from the bargain bin. That is my treasure. And it's from the bargain bin, which, I mean, it's in fantastic shape for it to be in the dollar bin. Yeah. It was great. It was great. But that's it for our first episode and in our comparisons of our, uh, now, our treasures. we were saying earlier, connect the two albums. Right. And so, you know, the one connection is that Bonnie Tyler right. had a hit with a Frankie Miller song. Mm-hmm. And then Bonnie Tyler also worked with Jim Steinman. Correct. So there's one connection. Mm-hmm. And the other connection mm-hmm. is that Jack Douglas, who produced Frankie Miller's Double Trouble. Mm-hmm. Worked of Aerosmith, and Aerosmith worked of Desmond Child, Whoa. who worked of Meatloaf on Bad Out of Hell 3. There you go. So, yeah. It's all interlooped. And if you've been playing the drinking game, mm. you've passed out by now and haven't finished you your have podcast. You have just finished in the morning. And, yeah. and then tell all your friends about it. And yeah. please, you know, I hope you liked it. I hope you enjoyed it. Please stick around. Listen to our next one. I mean, this is our first one, so be kind. I'm sure we're going to have to shorten it because we're, we're chatters. We like to talk. This is what we do. And that's why I think the podcast world is perfect for us. And before we finish up here, remember to like, subscribe, follow us, depending on whichever platform you listen mm-hmm. to us on. Check us out on Instagram at Bittersweet and Twisted, Facebook at Bittersweet and Twisted Records. Don't bother if TikTok. <laughs> um, you can buy some record CD shirts, all that fun stuff from us at bittersweetandtwistedrecords.com you can buy podcast merch with our really awesome kick-ass logo at our Public store which will be linked on our Instagram and on our YouTube channel Mm -hmm. and don't forget to check out our Spotify Spotify (laughs) Spotify playlist with music from every artist we've name dropped here today that will be linked up again on our YouTube and our Instagram Mm -hmm. And thank you for spending the five hours with us. <laughs> thank you. And so like, subscribe, follow, share. Yes. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.